This is the Shea Spark Show, where business and military leaders share what it means to invest in leadership, relationships, and self-love. And stay tuned for the end of the interview. There is a new coaching segment that you won't want to miss. Have you ever been paralyzed with fear? Or maybe you've just been paralyzed. Our guest today talks all about his journey from being paralyzed to bring an amazing force of nature. So stay tuned because you won't want to miss it. Welcome back to the Shea Spark Show, formerly known as the Power of Investing in People podcast, where we talk to business and military leaders about what it means to invest in leadership, relationships, and self-love. This is season 10, and it is time to shake things up a bit to, and listen to what I'm being called to do. So here we are shifting and expanding the name. I am your host, Shay Sparks, Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we spark leaders to find, use, and share their voice through coaching, podcasts, and publications so that they're fired up about their life and business and talk about being fired up. Man, our guest today is the amazing Leland Holgate Sr. Welcome to the show, Leland. Hey, thank you for having me. It's so good to be here. I appreciate you. Well, thank you. And it's been long overdue. We've been connected, I think, a couple of years on Facebook. And we finally got connected in a WhatsApp group. And it was like, okay, now is the time. I need to reach out to you. You have to be on the show. (laughs) It was perfect timing. I love it. Well, for those of you who don't know, Leland Holgate Sr. is a former veteran of the Air Force Elite Forces teams. He is a yoga teacher where he does trauma recovery yoga. He's also a life coach. He does breath work and a mental health advocate. He is a founder of Warriors for Life America and now also the Willful Warrior. And you can find out more on his website at willfulwarrior.org. And of course, we'll have that in the show notes as well. Well, Leland, I always like to start off with the first question of what does investing in self-love mean to you? Oh, it's an epic question. It means absolutely everything. It is the universe as far as getting anything out of this life that you want or accomplishing anything in this life. Self-love is that ability to fill your cup up and then be able to overflow and give from the saucer underneath. So it's it's a very important piece of of my practice and of course what I coach other people to to really focus on. If you love yourself, it's easier to love others. I totally agree with you and I love that you talk about the overflow because oftentimes I think we we forget that it's an overflow and we just think oh we're just pouring from what we know, but yeah. it's really about we have to fill us up first. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, you hear it all the time, you know, pour you never pour from your cup and that's true. Don't pour from your cup. Pour from the saucer underneath. Have it so overflowing that you don't have to give of yourself and drain, but you're giving of that extra, that self-love that you found. Well, and when you come from that point, it comes from a place of freedom where it's literally just exuding from you. So it's not work. Exactly. It's just normal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just you. (laughs) It's just you being in the world, right? Shining your light. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you're a background a little bit, but you share with our listeners when there was a time when you weren't overflowing 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. So many times, you know, one of the things as a coach that I love to tell everybody is that I have failed more times than I have succeeded. And if you guys knew how many times that I would fail, then you too wouldn't worry so much about your failures. So of course, post-military and during the military, there was not a lot of self-love. It's not something they typically teach us, you know? (laughs) Very true. So yeah, after after military service, it was interesting. There was there was a good, you know, decade, if not more, of self-loathing, self-defecation, and you know, all these horrible things that I thought about myself. And if I look back on my life during that period, it was probably the darkest point of my life. So yeah, definitely had one of those. <laughs> well, and I know that you have been to a point where you were paralyzed with fear, literally and figuratively. So can you share that story with us? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So got tired of being told what to do as a kid. So I joined the military. So at right, 17, that's all you know, right? <laughs> right yeah. Familiar. So why not? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And of course, I was raised by a special forces operative. My father was uh, an army ranger who moved to what's called Delta Force. Mm-hmm. So a Delta operative. And it's it was interesting, of course, for me to want to join at such a young age. Sure. So I joined it at 17. He forbid me to go into the Marines or the Army because he was trying to keep me away from all the things that he had seen. So I joined the Air Force. And funny enough, what he doesn't realize is, yeah, I joined as a C-130 loadmaster. So essentially what I I would help do is load the aircraft. We would take care of uh, paratroop drops. We took all of our special forces people into the dangerous areas, got them out of there, all these really amazing things. So he was happy about that because at least I wasn't considered a combat troop at that point. And then what he didn't know is that, of course, I fell in with the pararescue and combat control guys in the Air Force, which are our special forces units. And I was hooked, absolutely hooked. I mean, here I am dropping them out of my airplanes anyways and taking them into hostile areas and getting them out of these areas. So, of course, I was enamored. I loved it. It was absolutely amazing. Where else can you do these things at the age of 19 years old? You know what I mean? So it's not like you're an adrenaline junkie or anything. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. None of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely an inevitability when you join the military. My goodness. So, yeah, it was it was interesting to start to shift from what I was doing to realizing, ooh, I want to do that Hmm. and really working toward that that goal. So we, I was in one of the most deployed squadrons in the United States military, not just the Air Force, called wow. the 61st Airlift Squadron. And we were sent over to the desert. We were the first plane into Kenya when the embassy got bombed. We were watching the, the northern no-fly zone. It was called Operation Northern Watch in Saudi Arabia and Iraq. And the one in 99 that really sticks with me is... Operation Anvil, and I'm sure you remember in the 90s, Yugoslavia, the invasion into Kosovo and into Albania. And we were tasked to go over and to stop the genocide that was happening. So we're over, well over the enemy border. We're taking in paratroopers. We're taking in not just for our people, but also supplies, food, and all these other things for refugees, because there was like 500,000 displaced refugees during this time. And it was interesting. I mean, real interesting to shift into a a more combat position 
and to get to see things, of course, and be a part of things you really don't want to be a part of. But in that way, one of the best ways that I've ever heard it is, is when you look at the military, we're literally humanitarians. Yes, we're warriors, but we're going in to stop a bad person from doing something to somebody else that doesn't have the power to stop them. So in that way, we got to be humanitarians. But unfortunately, there are parts of the job that are very disgusting and a little dirty. And these things leave a, a pretty big mark on you. Right. So one of the things for myself, obviously, like I said, is while we were there and I was bringing in, you know, missiles and bombs and food and supplies for all of our troops and the refugees, I just noticed that I definitely wanted to move down that pararescue or combat control, you know, route. So when I came back, I had set an intention mm-hmm. that I was going to go down to what's called Hell Week. I had already been through what's called survival, evasion, resistance, and escape training or SEER training. Mm -hmm. So special forces training that they send you to, as well as uh, prisoner of war training or POW training. So I had already gotten that. I had earned my expert marksman. So I was well on my route to becoming a sniper if that was something that I was looking at doing. And all I had to do, all I had to do was go down to San Antonio and take part in what's called Hell Week. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure everybody's seen the movies, G.I. Jane and all these other things where, you know, this is where the selection process happens for our special forces. Usually it's like 60 to 100 people join. They go to the hell week and afterwards, maybe 15 people make it. Wow. I knew I I, and I knew I would have made it, but that was all I had to do. right? Right. Right. So on our way out of Yugoslavia, we got lit up by what's called a surface to air missile, a SAM site. And in a big cargo jet, you're maybe about three to 10% possibility of getting away from one of these things or escaping. Mm -hmm. So it was an interesting situation. It was actually one of the most pivotal, you know, moments in my life, and especially in my military career, because while being in combat is absolutely traumatic and of course, autonomically arousing, this was a situation I couldn't control. There's nothing I could do. I couldn't hit the ground. I couldn't lift my weapon and shoot back. There was no control I had whatsoever. I'm just in the back of this cargo aircraft with all of these combat troops. And this plane is just going up and down and left and right. And of course, you know, we're we're yanking and banking to try to get away from whatever's been shot at us. Mm-hmm. I'm in this back window and I have what's called a pickle. So I'm pushing out what's called chaff and flare. So the the flares are those they're flares. They're for heat guided missiles. And then chaff are these little pieces of aluminum and and metal that come out to throw off radar guided missiles. So that's all I can do is just push and pray. Over and and over again. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that's what we call that. Push and pray, push and pray. That's all you can really do. Everybody's looking at me for answers. They're ghost white, of course. You know, people are puking all over the place because it's like a Richter scale of 12 Mm of an earthquake going on and I had no answers for everybody. I was lost myself. Sure. And that was maybe eight to 10 minutes of absolute Mm -hmm. hell. Thankfully they didn't fire on us. If they did, I'd probably not be here with you, but the Serbs were known to, they had a, they had a very big surface to air missile arsenal and they loved to make sure that they tagged our planes. They were very boisterous about, you know, their SAM sites. So thankfully they didn't fire, but eight to 10 minutes, you know this, whether you're in extreme bliss or extreme stress, there's a time dilation effect that happens. So that eight to 10 minutes felt like five hours of hell. Sure. Just 
you know, constant, the, what we call the bitch and Betty, the alarm is going off. And it's like, it's, it's these alarms that are even worse than what you've heard in the movies. Like they create these oh, yes. so that there's no way you can miss them. So for that whole time, the alarms are going off. You've got everybody's stress. You know, you see the stress on everybody and everybody's freaking out. So of course that was the first moment in my life I had expressed and experienced absolute fear and terror. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was nothing I could do. So we come back and you can imagine, got a little bit of steam to blow off. Just right. a little bit. <laughs> right. So before I wanted to go down to Hell Week, I was going to talk to my first sergeant and uh, let him know on my intentions of, of wanting to go down and try out for Hell Week. We got a three-day pass. So we went out on R&R, &R, yes. rest and mm -hmm. relaxation. Mm -hmm. So we go to blow off some steam and we go to this place called Heber Springs. That's a Greer's Ferry Lake in Arkansas. And of course, we can't do the low rev stuff. Like you said, we're adrenaline junkies. Yeah. So we get the fastest watercraft that we can find and mm -hmm. a rope and an inner tube. And that was that was our fun. We're, we're having a blast out there. Well, on my turn, one of the people that was driving, I goaded him and did the whole thing, you know, stop being uh, whatever. Let's kick it up. And he did. He revved that engine and kicked it up. And the moment that my skips on the water became further and further apart from each other. That's when I kind of tuned into, ooh, this isn't, this isn't good. Maybe I right. shouldn't be doing this right now. And in that moment, he cuts left and I was slung shot off of this thing. There was no holding wow. on to it, of course. We're going 40, 50 miles an hour over the wow. water surface. Uh, and if anybody knows anything at high speeds, water is like concrete. There's mm. no give to it whatsoever. So I come flying off of this thing and all I see is water, 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 blackness. So it just knocks me right out. Everybody on the shore said that I looked like a folding chair over like a football field, just skipping across the top of the water. Scary. Yeah, it was It was yeah. definitely one of the, the most life-changing events for me ever. Sure. After that happened, of course, I'm floating face down in the lake at that point in time. My heart had stopped and I stopped breathing. So I was legally dead for just about three minutes and 48 seconds. One of one of my troops grabbed me out of the water. He was on a wave runner and just wrapped me around his waist like a belt and took off like a bat out of hell heading for shore. And once they got there, thankfully there was already a state trooper in the park. So I got lucky there. So already yeah. a first responder on scene. Right. So he comes over and I had one of these really amazing out-of-body experiences. I'm dead. It's not a near-death experience. It is a full-on death experience. Wow. I'm, I'm no longer breathing and, and my heart had stopped. And I'm watching this whole thing happen from like this observer point of view. And all my friends were kind of, they're thrown back because I described the whole event. And they're like, how do you know that? I was, like, I was watching the whole thing. I wow. saw him do it. And yeah. it wasn't the reason I knew is because it wasn't normal chest compressions and breaths. He uh -huh. took his fist and he popped me in the chest a couple of times and then used his knuckles as like a xylophone right on my ribs. Wow. And it got my heart started. Uh huh. So in that moment, though, this is like a pivotal piece is in that moment when I'm watching everything happen. There's no thoughts. There's no wants. There's no needs. Yeah. There's no concerns or worries. There's nothing. It's just absolute isness. The yeah. it's like peace and contentment all wrapped into one. Right. So it was it was epic because the way I look at it is, is it felt like I had come home. Right. And that's mm -hmm. this is where sure. the name of my my breathwork method was picked from, because when you do the breathwork, 
this is the feeling you get that that relief from constant mm-hmm. analytical thought. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was absolutely amazing. And then extreme contrast, of course, they get my heart started, they get me back into the ambulance and we're headed off toward Little Rock General and it it feels like I come slamming down into my body like somebody just wow, duplexed me into my body. And as soon as I come out, I have this horse collar around my neck. And mm. there's just, I've got extreme head pain. My occipital lobe is on fire because, you know, the edge of that, that horse collar is yeah. just sitting right on the back of my crown of, of the uh, skull. And I'm sitting here and I'm trying to figure out what the hell's happening. And I hear this EMT constantly asking me, can you feel that? And after a while, when I finally came to, I was like, what are you talking about? And all I hear was, oh, no. And the one thing you don't want to hear from an EMT or a doctor or a medical right. professional is, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. 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 So his, oh, no, of course, my eyes open, sheer terror and panic set in. Wow. I was like, oh, my God, what do you mean? Oh, no. And he tells me he's been poking me with, you know, the hypodermic needle all over my body and I'm wow. not getting any response. So he wasn't finding any reflex. And of course, I wasn't feeling anything. So that was when the sheer panic set in that, oh my God, I can't feel anything below my Adam's apple right now. I don't know what the hell's happening. And I mean, it's funny too, because obviously I'm not in that situation, but we know this, the body's objective. It doesn't know that you're not in that situation. And just thinking about it right now gives a little bit of a somatic rise. I'm sure it does. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very interesting. Yeah. So yeah, you can imagine you're 19 years old, You've wow. been given the power to travel the world. I, at that point in time, I'd already been to 30 something countries. We got, you know, you could do anything you wanted and it's all been taken away from you. Every single, yeah. everything, even the, the ability to walk taken away. Yeah. So uh, we get to the hospital, they do the MRIs and they find that I had a silver dollar size contusion wrapped around the spinal column at C1 and C2, which explains why yeah. I lost my life shut everything down. So when, of course, this is 1999, by the way. So keep in mind, we don't know what we know today in neuroscience. You know, that was over 30 years ago. So of course, for these guys, neuroplasticity was a new thing. The nineties was when neuroplasticity really started coming about. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine the type of talk I was getting from this physician. There's no healing nerve tissue. And we're going to have to start to manage your life expectations and what you can do. You know, all these other things, putting in a wheelchair ramp at the house. It's all the things you don't want to hear right now. Like all the bad news, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, doc, do me a favor. What can you do to vacuum hope out of my life right now? Go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was interesting because there was, as you can imagine, two days of self-loathing, self-deprecation, woe is me, my life sucks. I mean, I was asking my friends, my combat Marines, my special forces friends, I was asking them all to kill me. I was asking them to just mm. kill me out. There's no sure. way I could do that. Sure. I, I can't be the 19 year old that used to jump out of aircrafts and do all these other things. And now I can't even walk, can't yeah. even use the bathroom on my own. Like, no. So finally, kind of get over that. Haven't haven't completely gotten over it because I just don't know what to do. And at the end of the second day, doctor comes back in to do more of his managing expectation speech. And I just couldn't take it anymore. At that point, everything that the military had trained me for 
had started kicking in and seer training. And you can imagine in all this specialized training, it's always three strikes and you are not out. There's always one more thing you can do. Never give up, never surrender, never stop trying to evade, never stop trying to escape. You are not forgotten. We are coming for you. All of these things started kicking in. I even get emotions that pop up when I feel that because it's everything they they just build yeah. into you to just continue to try and try. I mean, they turn us into machines. They really do. Right. So when that started happening and the doctor came in, I couldn't help it. I went off on his ass. I mean, it was an exploitive no. And the moment that I screamed that, my brachial plexus, which is this huge collection of nerve endings right here inside of your, your shoulders, lit up. And I got this, this whoop of energy that traveled up my scalene muscles, you know, the neck muscles. Yeah. Down. And in that moment, you could, you, I mean, I get another feeling in the body when I describe this because it was just absolutely epic when that happened. I, I froze like a deer in headlights, mm. looked over at the doctor and was like, doc, don't mean to, you know, be rude, but I need you to leave. And I need you to tell my friends to come in. We got some stuff to talk about. I didn't feel like I could have the conversation with him. Obviously he was set in his sure. mindset. I, I understand. I appreciate your opinion, but now what just happened? Now I know what you told me is an opinion, sir. This mm. is not what I'm stuck with. Right. That was like that pivotal moment, right? Where you decide, okay, cool. I can sit here and be a passenger on my journey, even if I wasn't able to gain things back. Or I could be the captain of my ship and decide where to go next, no matter what the outcome. It's like, so am I going to sit in this pain, in this strife right now? Or am I going to make something better out of my life? Well, it sounds like you unleashed your throat chakra, yeah. right? And yeah. really allowed the energy to flow in you as you were explaining in a, in a not so nice way, right? <laughs> that you yes. were not going to tolerate him anymore. Wow. Please yeah. continue. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and it's funny, right? As you know, and many of the people listening know, when you make up your mind, when you are what I don't know if you cuss on this show or not, but yeah, withable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> when you are unfuckwithable and you decide your direction, the universe answers. It always does. Yes. When you set yourself on a, on a path and decide nothing's turning me from this, there is no option B, there is no you know plan C or way out of this, the universe will respond and answer and give you everything you need. So in that way, the next day I meet my physical therapist and get the, the chances of this, right? This is the nineties, like we yeah. talked about. Yep. So of course, doctors are very limited with their knowledge, as well as in the military, I get a physical therapist. The physical therapist I got was a yogi. And oh, that's like, there's wonderful. no like, Yeah. Yeah. Minuscule, <laughs> minuscule. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. So I got like the one physical therapist that was a yogi. And when he walks in, he starts talking about, you know, how he's going to teach me yoga and, and breath work. And I was just, I looked at him, I rolled my eyes. I was like, dude, if I could move my legs right now, I'd so kick you in the throat. What do you, <laughs> yoga, like serious, yoga. did they not tell you about my condition? How am I going to do yoga? I was 19. I had no idea what yoga was sure. at that point, you know? And that was when he imparted on me. It was like, yoga is 98% pranayama, bro. This is what we call breath control or control of the life force that's within you. That's what yeah. yoga is. Out of 196, what they call sutras or threads of knowledge, four of them are physical. 
192 of them have to do with mindset and controlling of the breath or the life force that is within us. And that was, that was where we started. And um, for him to cap it off, he did what we call, it's called in yoga, it's called Nodi Shadna or alternate nostril breathing. Yeah. So we started doing, that was one of the first things that he taught me was this alternate nostril breath. If you breathe in through the, the left nostril and out through the right nostril, it's like the brake pedal. So it kind of mm. soothes the body and mind, right? Mm -hmm. So there's different ways that you can do this. But he took me through this. And then after he had me work through, and these are continual breaths in and out, in and out, in and out, he had me hold. And when I held at the top, I was like, boom, it was full on experience, DMT drop, everything happened all at once. I came out of it and was like, what the hell was that? Oh my God. And in those moments that he would, he would take me through these different breath techniques. Yeah. Every time I held, I would get little bitty sensations that would travel into areas that I couldn't feel wow. previous to that breath. Yeah. So you can imagine I dug in like a tick on oh, this. Good. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I dug in so much. They coded me several times because of course the nurse walks in my eyes are rolling my tetany's going i'm doing the flipping chicken so they're freaking out and hitting the button ah! and she goes to wake me up and i'm like bro oh i was on a good one what are you doing so freaked them out a couple of times and they finally got around to realizing oh, okay he's just doing his breath work he's all right leave him alone he gets a little angry and mean if you interrupt his <laughs> breath sets so that was that was my life for for wow. quite a while there. It was oh my god, I was doing like seven to eight hours of breath work a day. It was ridiculous. Wow. Oh yeah, I was. I mean, I dug in like the feelings that I was getting from this. There's no way you could stop me. You know, within yeah. within the first two and a half weeks, I had already gotten back about fifty to sixty percent of the sensation in my body. I hadn't what? quite gotten feeling or or motion back. Uh -huh. But at least I could feel pressure in my lower back. I could feel pain in my in my butt. Yeah. You know, so it was like all these sensations were coming back the more breath I did. Sure. And that's that's when I dug in even further because I was like, hold on, two and a half weeks I've been doing this. Yeah. And you this were just told you would be in a wheelchair. Get ready, go home, build the ramp, everything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it was, it was, it was quite something after, after about two and a half months, almost three months of continuing to breathe, I was able to move a majority of my upper body. I hadn't quite got fine motor skills back. You know, I had what they called quad flippers where I couldn't really move the, the fingers just yet, but I had also gained back most of the motor function and sensation of all the way down to like my shins pretty much. So, I mean, I was, I was finally getting to the point where I could move legs and and start to at least flex feet down and and these just small things that we take for granted sure every day that that's what this situation gave me is is this extreme gratitude for the things that we take mm. for granted right now when I wake up in the morning because yeah. of everything we're talking about the first thing I do is move my hands, I pedal my feet, and I just yeah. smile big. Like, I ah, it's still there. <laughs> mm, I bet. I bet. Yeah. So it's after going through all of that and getting most of the feeling and motor function back, I was like, all right, we're taking this even further. And after about two years, I was hobbling away on a cane. I, I would use a cane just for some, you know, for the first Three years after getting back on my feet, there were still some things I had to take care of, but I was on my feet 
if I had to use a cane, wow. I didn't give a shit. I was walking. Right. <laughs> How long were you in the hospital? I was in the hospital for about two and a half weeks. And then they brought me, they brought me on base for the base hospital. And then within the first two months, I was released to go home. Cause at that point, there's not much you can do anyways. But, you know what I mean? Yeah. As long as you, for me, the thing that I got lucky with was I didn't need a ventilator. I didn't need exactly. yeah. any of that stuff. So thankfully, because you don't need that, they can send you home as long gotcha. as you know, you've got the colostomy bag for that kind of thing and, and the other stuff. So yeah, I was lucky. I was luckier than most sp spinal cord injuries because I've talked to several of them and they're in, the, they're in the hospital for months. Right. So yeah, super, super fortunate that it happened the way that it did and that I jumped on it right away because this is the other thing, right? And this is why I'm becoming a doctor myself and working on it. Not only do you have the power to vacuum hope out of, of somebody's life, mm -hmm. But you also, on the other side of that, you have the power to instill that hope. Now, imagine if that mm. doctor came in and told me, listen, you're paralyzed, but I don't want you to think that you're stuck with this. I can't guarantee you'll get it back, but I'm going to be right here by your side and we're going to figure some things out and see what we can find together. Mm. That's the kind of thing I want to yes. be as a doctor. Like, Amen. Yes. <laughs> Cause that's, you know, I talked to so many of these spinal cord, we call them spinal cord champions, not injuries. Yeah. Um, so I've spoken to so many of them and we have a group where I take care of, of several of them and all of them for the first few months, some of them, the first few years of their injury did nothing because the doctor said these diminishing things. Yes. You know what I mean? If, Agreed. if a doctor walks in and says, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. Well, then you're just going to go ahead and internalize that. So absolutely, it's a big, big thing that I want to really shift in, inside of the spinal cord injury side of things and the way that we approach that for sure. Well, I think that's a, well, first of all, thank you for sharing your story. And secondly, I just believe that it is just goes to show the power of our words, right? Yeah. Of okay. how it affects us. In a, in a completely different way. And then the fact that you use your words in the first place to be like, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to tolerate what you have to say, doc. And you then started to engage at support, right? From your, your buddies, yeah. like you are a testament to literally what your voice can do for you, your, how it can heal you. Yeah. So good for you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's, that's what I, I really take into my coaching yeah. and into everything for our clients and patients is, is just allowing them to recognize that there's two things that you can truly control in this, this entire universe. That's your intention and your breath. Mm -hmm. So the moment that you set that intention and speak as if that intention is already yours, because it is. Yeah then everything inside of the universe will move mountains out of your way so that you can achieve whatever you're looking to achieve. Wow. Well, clearly I'm going to have to have you back on because we could talk for hours, if not days. <laughs> so it is just, gosh, such a great way to share your story. But right now I just need to take a quick break and give a shout out to our sponsors so we work with Heroes Media Group, who produces this show, and my team over there is fantastic. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, look at heroesmediagroup.com for your producing needs. And also give a shout out to ULA Universe for their energy supplement called Sisu Stamina. 
Typically, I have a cup of coffee in the afternoon. And after just a few days of having a sisu stamina, one chewable, it's like a vitamin C chewable during the morning, I have enough energy to make it throughout the day without that extra caffeine in the afternoon. You can go to their website at ulauniverse.com. And when you check out, enter the code SPARKS10 and you will get a, you will receive a 10% discount. And also I want to mention the Firestarters book project. It is a collaborative book and it's about connecting with other creative thought leaders inside a book to ignite a movement of hope and kindness. And you talked about hope a little bit ago and connection. So join the movement today at firestartersbookproject.com. Well, Leland, again, I'm just going to have to have you back on the show before we wrap up. I have a couple more questions. So now that we've heard your backstory and now that you're doing all these other things, where did you start and what did, well, I'm going to ask two questions. Where did you start to, on your journey of, I now need to be the teacher, right? Because you were the student. And I completely believe I'd say on here almost every episode that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And that's what you had with your physical therapist. And when the teacher is ready, the student appears. So how did you go along the lines of being the teacher? And what advice would you give someone who is in sort of a transition from military to civilian life or from employee to entrepreneur about what's their next step? Yeah, great question. Great question. So I would say if there's one thing that that I could really hold on to from what moved me from student to teacher is allowing myself through the process. And this is one of the things that we work with is normalizing and removing that stigma from all these things that you're dealing with. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be depressed. You've been through something. That's a normal reaction from your body. Yeah. Your organism will react to whatever stress you've been through. So what happened for me is it was a good 10 years of the messy middle, alcoholism, drug addiction. You can, you know, all these things that you hear from veterans, I went through myself. Sure. And for a long time, I shamed myself. Mm-hmm. And you, just like you know, yep. when yep. you shame and guilt yourself, guess what you're doing? Repeating the cycle, yep. repeating the cycle and repeating the cycle. And yes. that's what that lesson taught me was remove the gate, guilt and shame, dude. Just recognize that you're in a crappy part of your life, you're dealing with some really big traumas from your past, it's okay to feel like a mess right now. That's one thing yoga taught me above everything else. It is okay to be a mess. You're human. Mm. You are a human being. You're not a human doing. You don't need to do anything to fix what you're feeling. You just need to be what you want to be. And the moment that I released all of that guilt and shame and allowed myself to just recognize where I was, then it allowed me to use the tools that I had be given to shift and change, recognizing that, wow, once I released all this guilt and shame, everything is a choice. Mm. If I could choose to release Mm. the guilt and shame, then I can choose to feel a different way. Mm. And in those moments after the first 10 years of that messy middle is when I started coming around and recognizing, dude, it's time to go back. And that's when I did my yoga training, now a 500 hour yoga instructor and, and teacher trainer as well as that's when I really started digging in on the neuroscience and psychology. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also some of the epigenetics that's going through. And in those moments, 
that's when I recognized. I was like, wow, we're going back. I'm getting my double doctorate in, in neurochemistry and, and neuropsychology. And we're bringing this out to the world. If, if mm. I fix this for myself, how can I not share this with somebody? You know, don't find the light and hide it in the bush. <laughs> right. And that's right. typically, it's kind of what I was doing, which I get it. You know, I had a, a process to work through. But 2016 was a very awakening moment for me. And also what pushed me into the teacher spotlight as well, mm. because my father committed suicide. Mm. And he Gosh. was one of the now over 44 a day. It's sure. ridiculous what's happened yeah, with this, this epidemic, you know, size number. Yeah. So yeah, after that, I decided, dude, what are you doing? Your own pops just offed himself. Mm. You have found a way through some of the most challenging moments that anyone can ever think of. Why are you keeping this to yourself? Why aren't you sharing mm -hmm. this with everybody? Even if it's something as simple as, hey, here's what I do. If, try it if yeah. you want. And hopefully it works for you like it worked for me. And that was the whole start of all of it. Well, Paula, I'm so sorry to hear about your dad. And my dad was a veteran as well. And I think that's part of the reason I'm on this mission is to help other veterans heal. Because if he had had the skills and tools that I had, he would have been a better father, a different husband to my mom, all of those things, right? Right, right. And one of the things that you mentioned about gaining all this knowledge. So in all the work that I've done, I fully, in all the interviews I've had, I fully completely believe that when we learn something, it becomes knowledge, but it's not until it's, we share it that's when it becomes wisdom. Amen. And so we are so full of this knowledge and yet the world is lacking wisdom. So get out there and share your story. And I hope our audience, if anything, have learned from your story, how many things they have learned, they've probably been taking notes, but if anything, they can learn that it is important to heal yourself first and come from that place of overflowing so that you are then able to share your wisdom and give the next person a hand up, not yeah. a handout. There you go. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So now you have, you have the will for warrior, you have the warriors for life America, and you're doing all these amazing things as well as teaching, you know, breath work and in this WhatsApp that I'm so happy that I'm a, a member of. And so tell us about that. How did all that get started and how yeah. can people join? Yeah, I love it. I love it. And the story starts for the willful warrior with our, one of our favorite mentors, Dr. Joe. <laughs> Dr. I, Joe Dispenza, for those of you. Who yes, Dr. Yes. Joe Dispenza. <laughs> Look him up. If you don't know who he is, yes. you should know who he is. Amazing, amazing individual and mentor. In 2017, and so just a little bit more about the story, I was diagnosed with colon cancer after dad. <laughs> Yeah. Like that wasn't. So obviously the universe I noticed was just uh -huh. setting me up for a, a series of books. That's all yeah. I wanted. It wanted to go. make sure that I was good. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So beat the colon cancer. And then once again, in 2019, head on car crash, left me paralyzed from the waist down. Um, oh my God. Paralyzed twice. Yeah. Twice. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So wow. that one was, that was thankfully, obviously I knew what to do. I took a challenge. Like I've got recordings of me. I used all this time to record that so I could show people. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you do got to take a, a bite out of the shit sandwich, but you don't have to go back for a second helping. Just, wow. So I used all that to, to work through it. And the reason I bring that up is because that's when I discovered Dr. Joe mm -hmm. back in, in 2017 when I was fighting cancer and 
in 2019 when that when that accident happened how perfect now right. i've got breath work and his meditations right. so you can imagine for two weeks what i did in the hospital that's all i did wow. was dr joe's meditations you know botech blessing of the energy centers and all of my breath work and mm. within seven months i was up on a walker and out of out of the the chair so yeah so in last year I was at my, I think it was fifth week long event, you know, one of Dr. Joe Dispenza's yeah. retreats that he does. And I was in September, it was Niagara Falls. Mm -hmm. So I actually got to volunteer for this one. So nice. it was, that was pretty amazing being one of the white hats and being able to serve others and yeah. allow them to really have that amazing experience. Like our, you know, when it's your first experience with him, you want it to be amazing. Yeah. And of course I'm passing him in the hall and we've already talked before. He had given me big hugs at like Cancun. He knew of me, knew what I had been working through. And, and I had talked, you know, small parts with him. But this time as I'm passing him and we're, it's just a short little talk, but he just basically says, you know, I love seeing you at all of these. When are you oh. going to add your magic to the universe? And I was like, oh, you had to do it. <laughs> Wow. As a mentor does, he will yeah. challenge you or she will challenge you. And that was, and you've heard this too, right? He stands up on stage and says it at the end of his week long every time. I'm just one person. You guys, I need you out there doing this work. And that that clicked for me. So in November, I at that that retreat met our president, Angel Kamenoff, who's also an advanced Dr. Joe student. And we built the Willful Warrior from the ground up and what it is now back in November. And since we're in 31 different countries already with thousands of people practicing the breath. Uh, and it's been amazing because, of course, we get to practice with all of our Dr. Joe community. We have some Bruce Lipton folks, some Abraham Hicks folks. So it's just really cool, you know, collage and mixture of all these amazing people in, in the Willful Warrior. And now we have the WhatsApp group that you mentioned. Yes. So there's ways that people can jump into that group. We do this little fun thing called 60 Seconds to Freedom, and we do it every 30 minutes. You don't have to jump in every 30 minutes, but it's there. It takes a yeah. minute to two minutes to feel the most bliss you've ever felt in your life. And it's a real game changer as you move through the day. So yeah, we've got some really cool stuff to support everybody that's coming in and wants to find out about the power of their breath. I love that. And is there a way that people can connect with you? Do they just search you on WhatsApp? How does that work? Yeah, you'll find us. So you can find us if you go to WhatsApp, it's Willful Warrior Community Official. I'll also give you the link so that people can join Perfect. Via that link. And you can find us on all the social platforms as the Willful Warrior. You name the social platform we're on there. We have our YouTube as well with some free gifts on there. So for if Anybody that wants to go on and try it for themselves, we have 60 seconds to freedom and a five minute blast on there. So just short little expressions. And I promise you, you try something for five minutes like this. I think it's two breath cycles I take you through and you'll be hooked. I promise. Nice. <laughs> nice. Awesome. So willfulwarrior.org and uh -huh. Willful Warrior on all the social medias. Exactly. So exactly. thank you for that. Yeah. So, and if, if you want to email too, it's thewillfulwarrior at gmail.com. That's our, our general email box if anybody has any questions. Perfect. Thank you. Well, Leland, it has just been an honor and a blessing to have you here sharing your story because clearly you are a blessing 
to the world. So thank you for thank being you. you and billing, being the willing participant for God to work in you so he can work through you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being here. And before you go, I always like to leave with this question of what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? Ooh, one of my favorites. I, I say it to myself every day, Theodore Roosevelt, people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. Yes. I love that one too. Awesome. <laughs> and you do care. And I appreciate that about you. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Don't go away. Stay tuned for the next segment. It's going to be a doozy. This is the segment I like to call Don't Be a Dick to Yourself or Others segment. And Dick stands for Dishonorable, Inconsiderate, Conniving, and Know-It-All. And in today's episode, we're talking with Leland. We were talking about how he had a, a doctor who a lot of times doctors and people with high ranking levels of authority believe that they know it all, believe that they are the best opinion out there. And in his story, his doctor did not give him good news. His doctor told him to prepare for the worst, to manage his expectations that he wasn't going to get out of the, get out of the hospital, get out of a wheelchair, that he was going to have to add a wheelchair ramp to his home. And that wasn't the case at all. He used breath work and he used meditation and he shifted his mindset. And why? Because he made a conscious decision to not be a dick to himself. He knew that he didn't know it all, but he also knew that he had to trust his intuition. And like he said, the training that he got from the military and really know that he could do anything he puts his mind to. And I am here to say that so can you. So don't be a dick to yourself. Don't feel like you know it all. Don't be this way to, to someone who, someone might be that way to you and they might give you a, a diagnosis or an illness, or you know maybe it's a leader at work telling you that you can't really do the job that you're in. Don't listen to them. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can listen to them within reason. But the real work begins when you don't listen to them and you go within and start questioning. Instead of knowing it all, question it. Come from a place of freedom. Ask questions. Get curious. Explore. Innovate. Make it up. Create new things. Maybe you're in a situation where you might find yourself paralyzed with fear because that's what we were talking about today in today's episode. So find a way to create something new. Find a way to create that's not fear. Be willing to explore. About being a dick is that know-it-all component is being willing to say, I don't have the answers, but I'm willing to find them. So where in your life are you willing to find the answers? Where are you in your life? Have you been paralyzed with fear and you're ready for a change? Well, I want to hear from you. Go to our website at theshaysparks.com. Leave us a message. Leave us a voicemail. We'll play it on the air. But I want to know where you have been paralyzed from fear. Or maybe you need help and support 
to be able to break through that thought process, that mindset. Or maybe you have completely shifted when someone gave you how you wouldn't walk again and you were able to show them different. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Again, feel free to leave us a comment. You could also go to Apple Podcasts and give us an honest review. And if you ever want to work with me or know more about the fearless coaching that I do or NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, which is literally what we were talking about in today's episode about getting rid of the things that we say to ourselves and rewriting our brain. You can find me at all social media at shaysparks.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at the Sparks. So look forward to hearing from you. And I know I'm fired up about this. And until next time, let's get fired up. Fired up.